was another thing that I loved about the showgirls was, you know, it, it, there was they were very modest about it. They were beautiful and classy on stage and off stage. It wasn't a cheap, dirty thing. It was this beautiful on-stage moment of seeing the beautiful body of a female, and then when they were off stage, they covered up. Welcome to Showgirls Life Podcast, the show that takes you behind the scenes with the real women and men who graced the stages of some of the most spectacular shows in history. I'm your host, Athena, former principal dancer in Jubilee. Today, we are going to be talking about boobs. Well, mostly what the big deal is around being a topless showgirl. I've curated my favorite conversations around the topic from previous guests for this very special episode. Enjoy! My first show, um, and it was the first time I had been topless as well. I remember standing on stage waiting for the curtain to go up, and I I remember thinking, oh my god, my boobs are out. And then the curtain went up, <laughs> and the lights came on, and the music started, and I was like, oh my god, this is really cool. I felt like I was a part of history. You know, the the lips, the lashes, the costumes, the hats, the sparkle. Um and I forgot all of a sudden that I was topless. I mean, that became secondary. You know, the show was elegant and classy. And I, I always used to tell people it was the, the classiest presentation of, of boobs on the strip, you know, because people are like, oh, it's topless. Oh, it's topless. I'm like, well, then you obviously haven't seen it um, because it's, it's beautiful and it's historical and it's not, you know, bump and grind, overtly sexual. Um, right. It's way more elegant than that and the majority of the dancers were trained and took what they did seriously as far as being a professional dancer and very proud of their training and their upbringing so it felt great it was exciting it felt like you were a a part of of Las Vegas history so that that was really special to me you know as as showgirls we got to do something very special and unique that so many people don't get to do. That was Anna Cook from episode 12. I thought it was the perfect way to open the show. I've been hearing so many performer stories about the topless aspect of being a showgirl and the incredible amount of shame around the subject. So I decided to do a full episode about it. (laughs) The first topless showgirls came to Vegas from the Lido de Paris in 1958. It was a big deal. (laughs) While there was already burlesque in the desert, French topless showgirls had never been seen on a Vegas stage before in the tasteful presentation that was the Lido de Paris um, at the Stardust Hotel created by Don Arden. These girls were the first women to dance topless sans pasties, which are actually a hallmark of burlesque. Side note, local laws and regulations requiring the use of pasties to cover the nipples were enacted because of the raunchy and lewd acts that burlesque performers were known to display on stage in burlesque halls all over the country. This was not the case for showgirls, though. Um, They were classically trained dancers, and they wore extravagant costumes, and they were not moving lewdly, uh, even lewd back in the day, um, and they didn't strip. After this first introduction of the showgirl, casinos battled it out to top each other's shows for like the next 30 years. Um, And then the showgirl became the icon of Las Vegas, despite her bare-breasted attire. So it's been shared in snippets over the past 19 episodes, but after my interview with Sherry Lewis and the visceral reaction I had to her story about it, here's my topless story. So I auditioned for Jubilee in the year 2000. I was in the middle of my third season with Nevada Ballet Theater, and I was invited by one of the former ballet uh, principal dancers to go and audition. He was now in the cast of Jubilee, and he said, you need to go. They're going to love you. 
And um, of course, I was pushing against it because I was pretty prudish. I I had heard so many bad things about um, basically ballerinas' ideas of showgirls and the people that danced on the strip. They were sellouts and just <laughs> ridiculous things. Um, so despite that, I went to the audition and um, I did the whole audition. It was one of the hardest auditions I've ever done. And uh, they called me down from the stage, which is not, you know, doesn't happen every time to every person. But they called me down from the stage and I met Fluff and Diane. They were sitting at a table and they, the first question they asked me was if I would go topless. And <laughs> I just said, oh, no, I'm here to audition for a covered spot. And they said, OK. And they introduced me to Donna London and she took me uh, Donna London. I just did um, uh, episode uh, 18. She um, she was the head of the wardrobe of Jubilee at the time. So she took me downstairs and got me measured. So I went into the show as a covered dancer and very few people, well, I guess it's not widely known that there were actual covered dancers in uh, showgirl shows. So I'll explain later about the differences between dancers and showgirls <laughs> uh, within the showgirl productions. But I went in as a covered dancer. So when you're a covered dancer, you're dancing your butt off. You are uh, you're doing more high kicks. You're literally running across the stage. You're doing way more because there's no uh, issue with boobs bouncing because they're covered by a bra, usually a metal bra. Um, so I signed my bluebell contract and began rehearsals. Three weeks later, I was in the show. And uh, so I was getting in the swing of it. And I don't know, a month or two, maybe almost three months into the show, they called me into the office and offered me a swing spot. And I had no idea what that meant <laughs> at the time. Basically, they said, hey, we want you to learn the bridesmaid's spot. And I was like, okay, but it's topless. Oh, would you be willing to do this spot? So I, I said, sure, because I specifically remember, I don't remember if it was a conversation with Diane or Fluff or uh, another dancer. But I had heard over that time that if you want to be a principal, you have to go topless. They will not hire you as a, a principal unless you go topless. So I was like, okay, eventually I'm going to have to make this leap. So I took the, uh, the offer of the swing spot. And a swing is basically just someone who goes into someone else's spot when they're on vacation or out sick or on injury or something like that. So it's just a temporary spot. And so I got to do the bridesmaids. Little bit after that, I, uh, one of the girls, one of the tall nudes that came into the show with me stopped coming to work. She just no called, no showed and, um, just <laughs> kind of never came back, which is actually a $6,000 out. <laughs> so I imagine they went after her for that. Uh, I haven't heard from her since, but um, they called me into the office and said, would you like to be a tall nude? And I was like, uh, okay, sure. I took it without consulting with my parents. I, and, um, I think it was like $50 more a week, something like that. So instead of making six fifty, I was making almost 700 or something like that. It was very close to 700 a week. Um, so back in 2000, that was actually quite a bit of money, right? If you do the, the uh, inflation calculator thing, right? So um, the fact that I didn't tell my parents is a big deal. So my fiance knew, and he was in, he was an acrobat in uh, the Folie Bergère at the Tropicana. Um, and of course he was like, yeah, more money, go for it. He didn't really, you know, he knew there was nothing wrong with being a topless showgirl. So um, just the fact that I didn't tell my parents was a big deal, especially coming from the family of origin that I came from. Um, so I didn't tell them. 
I just kept going to work and instead of doing the covered line, I did the tall nude line. So I rehearsed for a couple weeks and then they put me into the, into the nude line. Um, a couple months later after that, they gave me my first understudy spot, uh, principal understudy spot, and that was the bride. So the bridesmaids were the little, um, <laughs> I say little because they were like the short, the short nudes. They were the, the short, the smaller uh, nudes in the show, and they followed the bride uh, through. Uh, actually, they came uh, down the stairs with the bride at the beginning of the finale, and so the bride was my very first principal understudy spot. And I have a whole uh, video about that on my Patreon. You can check it out. Um, but this was a big deal because when you swung into the principal line, you got paid extra. So anytime you did a swing spot, you got paid a little bit extra. I think it was $8 a number. So 16 extra dollars a day I would get for doing one number, which was like a lot. <laughs> if you think about like the, the principals have, there were 14 spots, 14 principal st spots in the whole show. And so if you're doing a full swing, you know, of a track, it, you know, you make a good money uh, when uh, one of the principals is out. Uh, on vacation or whatever. So anyways, that's uh, besides the point. But um, I still hadn't told my parents yet. And I was like, I'll get there eventually. They live in Denver. I live in Vegas. It's no big deal. So one day I got a call from my mom telling me that one of her students' mothers was coming to see, wanted to come see the show. And could I, you know, get them in or whatever. And I was like, oh God. <laughs> So I met them after the show and I, I don't remember if they actually could find me, uh, in the show. I think they said they did, but I said, Hey, just so you know, I haven't told my parents yet that I'm a topless dancer. So if you could just not say anything to them, I'm going to call them tomorrow. <laughs> and her response was, Oh, well, I just assumed you were a topless dancer because you were you're in a Vegas show. And I was like, oh yeah, but we have covered dancers. So there's another, you know, just a misconception that not all showgirls are topless. So I had to bite the bullet and call my mom the next day. So it's easier to talk to mom than dad, or at least back in the day. And so I said, well, I got a promotion. They, uh, they made me a tall nude. I'm getting paid an extra $50 a week. And I don't recall what my mom's reaction was, but, um, I do remember feeling an incredible amount of shame about it and that I am, I was not making them proud. Um, and it definitely was not as intense of a feeling as I believe Sherry Lewis shared about, uh, in her episode last week, episode 19, um, with, uh, where she's talking about, the conversation with her mom about getting the job as a nude in Hello, Hollywood, Hello. Um, so I called home, and I hope my parents won't listen to this. My dad passed, but my mom, uh, she just said, no man will ever marry you if you take this job. And then I asked to talk to my dad, and she said, your dad said you're not his daughter, which I don't think was true. I don't think my dad was even there at this time. And then she hung up on me. Um. I was just crying oh. when you told me that. <laughs> That's really heavy. Yeah, it was just like the that connotation of what topless was and being alone and scared in Vegas. And like when they said Reno, I'm like, well, at least I can get a Vegas. And all I knew is Reno. I just knew it was cowboy town. <laughs> so that was like, yeah. well, that sounds a little safer than the flasher next door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I think that's probably the saddest story that I've heard so far about topless, like doing that. And I'm so glad that Bluebell was there to just help you through that. And like, there's something that just when people, I think people, I thought they would say, Oh, that doesn't seem like her. Like maybe I made that up. I go, no, she had that side of her. And, and again, that was like what basically helped restore some of the shame around that. Because I remember getting there and not even realizing you're topless like I think you were saying that a lot of people say you're just trying to get the choreography down get mm -hmm. where you're supposed to be and not get anybody's way not fall off the stage right. then you realize you're topless but yeah. yeah I think it was not as big a deal when I finally got into the show as it had been leading up to it 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, I still probably have some shame around it. Um, well, and it is like how many girls probably felt that too, because I didn't, my parents weren't religious. I had started going to church, like a hellfire and brimstone church by myself. I rode the Sunday school bus. So my parents thought I was such a prude. So then instead of it coming from them, as far as the religious part, it came from my own. Like if anyone at church ever found out about this, but my parents, it was, I don't know if they just, you know, like a bad reflection on them as parents, but why they thought, why they cared. Because I know, like, I remember seeing Playboy magazines in my dad's bedroom and like, Uh, but also he was very much a misogynistic, like women were, you know, to be ogled and, and just disrespected so to have his daughter be something that he actually you know <laughs> would would be down there for different reasons or not not that kind of show but yeah I think it was yeah. that was his assumption is I know I'm one of those women that he could objectify yep that's my dad too interesting yeah similarities there still just listening to that reaction from her mother it still like breaks my heart and <laughs> Even though it's been like three weeks since I talked to Sherry about it, I keep hearing it, you know, as I do these edits. Um, It just, it was really sad and it really hit me uh, and hurt me enough to be inspired to do this podcast or this topic for an episode. Um, You can hear the full story of her decision to take the job uh, in her episode last week, uh, episode 19. Um, she shares a little bit more about um, how Miss Bluebell kind of helped her through it um, and help her, you know, stand on her own two feet and, you know, get through that kind of that shame that was uh, given to her. So I say shame is like a bowl of shit that someone passes to us <laughs> to hold and deal with. Um, so I feel like it's time to pass the bowl back. And uh, it's something I've been doing in my own uh, personal healing. And, uh, of course, Brene Brown, uh, an American psychologist, she has uh, a a variety of books out, but most of them are about the topic of shame. She's been studying shame for over 20 years. Uh, She has an amazing TED Talk, and uh, her latest book, The Power of Vulnerability, talks a lot about shame. And uh, my favorite... uh, you know, takeaway from that is that um, when you're made to feel guilty, uh, that guilt is I made a mistake, but shame is I am a mistake. And that, like, I can feel that pretty deep. Um, And that's how I felt. I feel a lot of the uh, girls that went topless, um, they had to deal with some of that uh, from their parents, uh, their family, friends, maybe their churches like Sherry. Uh, was a member of a church. Um, the shame is is passed to us. It's I believe it's an energy that is passed to us, and we can either hold on to it and uh, live in that shame, or we can let it uh, pass through us. The super wooey uh, <laughs> thoughts of mine. Um, but one thing Sherry talked about uh, the objectification that um, her dad. Uh, had for women. I have a similar experience with my dad, uh, a lot of misogyny and the objectification of women. And I feel like um, they are taking their shame uh, and they're passing it to the women. I mean, that's just, you know, the patriarchy and all of that stuff. But uh, the men are taking that shame they feel about their own behavior surrounding the female form. And so I think that's why uh, a lot of people have a problem with uh, the topless dancers, like showgirls. Um, Strippers are a whole different thing. When I say topless dancer, I'm not talking about strippers. I'm talking about women who paraded around and danced topless on the the show stages of uh, the Las Vegas Strip. Um, And then the French showgirls, things like that. I'm not talking about women who are... Uh, being objectified and um, selling sex with their bodies. So uh, just a little uh, clarification there. Um, But my dad refused to come see me once I was topless. And he did, he refused until um, my very last night in the show. 
I was one of the principal dancers by that point, and I, I had announced my retirement. I said I was done. I'm 25, and I'm done dancing. Dad, will you please come see me? And so, you know, I got the pat on the back. I'm so proud of you. Probably not fully authentic because of my dad's own issues with uh, the um, his views of, of women and the sex objects. So, um, you know, that's the personal stuff I have to sort out. But I, I believe a lot of women have uh, gone through that. And these shows were not produced by misogynist men. They were produced by um, a, a group of people that saw and appreciated the female form. And they did what they could, uh, putting them in the most beautiful, glamorous costumes and uh, the, the really good choreography that would show off the, the, the physique, but not in a vulgar way. So... And there, there are, there were some showgirl shows out there that missed that mark. They didn't understand exactly what a showgirl is, and they just thought it was a woman dancing naked, being sexy, because that's not really what a showgirl is now, is it? <laughs> Keep listening for more if it's not clear yet. Um, my uncles came to see the show, no problem. Um, they probably couldn't even pick me out. <laughs> But some more uh, stories of shame that I've kind of experienced in the last few months since I started my podcast is that um, I remembered a lot of nudes where they had uh, danced nude contracts and then went back into uh, the covered lines, uh, whether it was shame or um, their bodies, like their breasts weren't, you know, maybe they weren't feeling uh, good about their bodies and they were like, no, it's time for me to cover up. You know, that, that actually did happen too. When, when women, um, started to age, they, you know, moved them into the, the covered line or, um, when they were pregnant, <laughs> they moved them into the singer line. So, um, there, this, the shame was kind of through, but it, what, it didn't come from the people that ran the show. It usually came from the outside sources, um, family, friends, uh, community, uh, leaders, uh, that people were part of. So, um, just really sad how people can, uh, project their shame on anybody really. Um, I even had a friend of mine, uh, that I grew up with dancing, uh, in the ballet. Um, we were both apprentices in, uh, this ballet company in, in Colorado. And she came out with her boyfriend, um, to have fun in Vegas, Sin City. And she called me up and said, hey, I'm here. So we met for drinks in between shows. And I said, you got to come see the show. I can get you in. It is amazing. You'll love it. She refused to see the show. <laughs> and I said, but there are like 85 people on. She's like, I don't want to see you naked. I'm like, I'm not really naked, but okay. So I was really offended <laughs> that my really good friend that we grew up together, like knew you know, weird stuff about each other. She refused to come see me perform. And that just, that really hurt because, you know, that's her own thing. But I was like, okay, whatever. Uh, we're friends on the Facebook, but don't really talk to her. Um, and so it's just really unfortunate that she missed the chance to see like that gorgeous display of women, because I know she had a lot of, um, body image issues growing up being a ballerina. So, uh, hopefully she's gotten over that. <laughs> Maybe not. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, the shame, it's just, it's rampant when, uh, we're talking about our natural body, uh, in this country specifically. Um, so my mom always came to th see the show and after, even after I, uh, became topless, she always supported me in that. She, you know, was root rooting for me to be a principal. Um, but, I have, I've heard many stories of, of, uh, the girls' moms coming to see the show and even, um, you know, some of the men that I've had on the show, uh, and you know, their reaction to seeing them topless. Um, but this is one of my favorites was Eileen Ryan Scott from episode two, uh, and her mom's seeing the show. I remember 
remember the first time my mother saw the show. That was like my fear. Like, oh. I remember talking to Slav saying, okay, my mom's going to be in the audience. Oh, my gosh. Like, what? And she's like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And I remember her saying, I'm like, okay, she's going to see me topless. And no, it's no way she's not going to know where her daughter is because it's a big show. So you <laughs> sometimes finding people when we all dressed alike, look alike. Yeah. No, I was the only chocolate one out there with some chocolate boobs. So I know she's going to find me, you know. And I remember Fluff after the show went up to her and goes, so what did you think? And she just had tears in her eyes. And she said, it was so beautiful. It was just beautiful. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's great. Now I always bring... This this conversation that I'm this next conversation that I'm sharing uh, from uh, Pete Menifee's episode episode five, and I asked him why he thought the sh- the topless uh, show was gone, and um, he brought up some really good points about kind of how far we've come as like the Me Too movement, and it's not okay to uh, you know celebrate the women the body of the women anymore because it's usually too sexual for people's taste. And that's, you know, just becoming completely um, unacceptable, unfortunately. So uh, here's his um, story about that. And then he shares a fun story at the end of one of the girl's um, parents coming to see her in the show uh, when Jubilee first opened. Bluebells Forever podcast, you said we've come too far to do another topless show. And I was curious what you meant by by that, if, if it's like the budget constraints or if it's something else. I figured it was well, no, I, things. I think I think the topless shows are over. Oh. I really do. With the, you know, Me Too and movement True. and and you know, I don't I don't think it's demeaning at all, but a lot of people do. And um, I, I don't think you'd have the same audience today. Oh, we, yeah, we absolutely certainly, don't. Certainly, certainly not younger people. Uh, even when we, when we opened Jubilee in 82, I think we finally got it on after the fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember talking to one of the girls when we were doing run-throughs. We were almost ready to open. And most of our nudes, had been European. They were English girls mm-hmm. or or uh, Italians or Fra- a lot of French girls. Right. And Don got a lot of girls from Lido that he had used there. Mm-hmm. And their green cards had run out, <sighs> you know, because it was six months between the fire and the time we opened. We were yeah. really open. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he replaced everybody with American girls. And I remember talking to one of the girls, and she was freaking out. She said, my father and mother are coming opening night, and my father is going to die when he sees me <laughs> up there, you know, with my boobs out. And I, so after opening night, I remember seeing her, and I said, oh, how, how were your parents? Were they cool about everything? She said, they couldn't even find me. <laughs> You know, if you get if you get forty eight women oh, on yeah. stage all painted up uh-huh. and their hair's covered and they've got a headpiece on and a backpack and a, you know all the jewelry and then they've got lashes and full face, you you can't tell who anybody is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So when Pete <laughs> talked about that girl's family not being able to find her on stage, it it reminded me of. Um, one of the uh, original principals in the show. Uh, so I got to share a dressing room with her um, in my first contract as a principal. And um, I remember, I think, talking about the fact that my dad wouldn't come to see me. And uh, she told me her her story about it. She said, yeah, you know what? My dad, it was hard for my dad to come the first time. Um, but once he saw me in the show and he he kind of just, he's like, that's not really my daughter. That's, that's my daughter. You know, she's, she's, her face is all painted up and she's, she's putting on a character. And so 
for him, it was okay to watch her um, be the lead in the show because he knew that she was just being an actress on in you know performing on stage. So um, it was it was just a beautiful thing, and I just was like, oh man, it would be so nice to not feel the shame <laughs> that I feel from my dad about being a topless dancer. But uh, yeah, we all had a similar stories, but um, there were some that uh, that didn't have those experiences. Uh, my friend Rachel from episode three is uh, she in this next segment will talk about her experience auditioning for her first topless show. The show I did in Tahoe that was the first uh, topless show I'd ever done, and I remember having to at that audition uh, the two producers that are currently um, both deceased, but obviously they had to kind of see the goods and I know we had to do a walk across, lower your top and do a walk across the stage uh, across the studio and I know some people kind of like dying, I'm just kind of like you know what, I'm just going to balls the wall it's, um, if this is what I, I'm here at an audition, I understood what the audition was for and if I'm too embarrassed to do it now then I have no business doing the audition in the first place Mm -hmm. So I was just kind of like, you know what, we're just going to go for it, top down, and off we went. And funny story, because I remember on my private audition for Jubilee, (laughs) this was before I'd done um, the show in Tahoe, so I'd actually not done a topless show at this point. And I remember having this cute little top on, and uh, I did my, I had to do like a prepared three counts of eight or something like that that I choreographed, and I did that with Fluff and Diane, and Fluff's like, okay, very nice, and she goes, Obviously, she's, um, you know, we're going to need to see. And I went, okay. And I started taking top. And she goes, oh, no, dear, not here. She goes, we're going to come to the office and do that. I was like, oh, I'm just going to get my tits out anywhere. <laughs> I just, I really didn't care. Um, but we ended up going back to the office and doing it a bit more professionally. But I was just kind of like, I'll just whip them out now. Because um, it just wasn't really a big deal. I was feeling quite good about myself because I was uh, in good shape at the time. Um, and telling my parents was not not really that difficult. If, if I'd have gone to them and gone, hey, I'm doing some show in Vegas and, you know, they need to see my boobs, my mum might have been a bit like, what type of show is this? So I felt it important to kind of like set the stage, so to speak, of, hey, there's this really good um, show and, you know, part of that is this and I'm going to be part of that. And they were never really phased by it, to be honest. It yes. was kind of, once they understood I was safe and it was done respectfully and tastefully, um, then it was all kind of, okay, we just want to make sure that you're not in any type of sleazy kind of situation mm-hmm. um, where it could be, it, it could potentially go a step further. And once that was communicated, it's like, oh, yeah, that's fine, love. And I didn't think my friend Anna, based on her family background, would have had this reaction. I was, I was surprised. In, for example, in Paris, it's not a big deal. Like women aren't sexualized as badly as they are here in America. Right. So did you have a hard time besides like that first moment, like you were like, holy fuck, my boobs are out. (laughs) Right. Did you have any shame you had to overcome? Did your parents come? Like, how did you tell your parents? Was that a big deal or? You know what? I I wasn't ashamed of it at all. And after that first moment on stage, when the curtain went up and I went, oh my God, my boobs are out. After that, I totally forgot about it. Like it wasn't even an issue. We had so much um, on us as far as as costuming, we had these gorgeous underwires, all of these rhinestones, feathers, backpacks. I mean, our bodies were so decorated with these incredible costume creations that you didn't feel naked. At least I didn't, you know, even though your breasts were exposed, you still had um, a lot of gorgeous things decorating your body. Um, It was, you know, the fact that I was Dancing topless, I would say my, my parents were not too thrilled about. It was it was funny the way everything kind of happened because um, uh, my dad is an Episcopal priest 
and my mom. (laughs) They, you know, we're from the, from the South. We're from North Carolina. And so when I went to dance on cruise ships, even, I think my mom made a comment like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I hope you just don't, you don't have to dance in a G string. And well, of course we danced in a G string on the cruise ship, but we weren't, we weren't topless. So I didn't really say anything. And they came on the ship and they saw the show and um, they loved the show. They've always been super supportive of my dance career and they love the arts. My, you know, my sister's a professional musician and a music teacher. So they had no issue. They figured their daughters would, would go into the arts. Um, but I never felt ashamed of it. Um, I didn't feel like I had to apologize to anyone for it. Um, once again, I felt like Jubilee was the, the classiest, most elegant presentation of topless women in town. And it didn't, it didn't bother me at all. Uh, my parents did come see the show and, when I told them, I told them before they came, I told them over the phone that I was in the, the topless line and they were not thrilled. Um, but they said, you know what, you're, you are an, an adult and this is your decision to make. Um, and then once the, they saw the show, uh, they thought the show was gorgeous. They thought it was beautiful and they understood sort of its place in history and um, they understood sort of the, the whole thing about being a showgirl. Um, and, and that was that, you know, they didn't ever really mention it again. It did not cause a problem in our relationship. It didn't cause a rift in our relationship. And they basically said, you're an adult and it's, it's your decision to make. So, um, so I was nervous. I was nervous when they came to see the show for the first time. But after that, it, it wasn't a big deal. That's awesome. Yeah. But I, I certainly never thought that it was anything to be ashamed of or to have to apologize for. One question that came up uh, early on in, in the show's history was in episode six, when Nikki Adamo um, shared her view, uh, is it really necessary to have topless showgirls in a showgirl production? Um, I don't think it's absolutely necessary, but I feel like uh, people expect it, like my my mom's student's mother, uh, who expected that I was a topless dancer um, just because I was in that show. So I, I think that um, certain generations have an idea of what a showgirl is. And as we move further and further away from uh, the golden age of showgirls uh, and we get these diluted... Um, Oh, I don't know what the nice word to say is, uh, wannabes, <laughs> the non-showgirls standing on the strip, taking pictures in their really badly, uh, constructed costumes. Yeah. Those girls, um, you know, people don't know. They, they just don't know because the shows are pretty much gone. Uh, but here is Nikki Adamo from episode six, uh, sharing her view. And I don't think showgirls have to be topless, but he just, you know, he was, I agree. It's like, that was one of the main things I really hated about it. It's like, why do, why do women have to be topless? <laughs> I mean, you know, cause I thought they looked just as beautiful with a, a, a rhinestone bra on than without. Right. there was even more stones and it was yeah more dazzling i personally like to dance naked so (laughs) i'll never forget when i I went topless for the first time and it was in hollywood i was so embarrassed oh my gosh i just remember feeling so embarrassed you know around all the stage hands because of course you know they're you know, right there holding the cues. And I don't know, I was just kind of shy about it all. I got used to it though. (laughs) Well, you had to be, to be a principal, right? You had to be. Yep. Yeah. That's the only reason I went topless was because I wanted to be a principal. So they said, you can't be a principal unless you're topless. I'm like, ah, damn it. Okay. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So do you think that you had to come overcome some shame or yeah, probably I did a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
a little, a little, yeah, it kind of did kind of bug me. Actually. Wow. wow. Okay. You're the first person I've heard say that. <laughs> yeah. Like I just didn't feel that it was necessary. Gotcha. But I mean, it was, it was beautiful and no one ever that came to see the show made, you know, made comments or, or it was never brought up to me, you know? Um, but just in my own personal, in, in my own mind, I thought, gee, you know, this would have, this could be just as good if it, you know, they don't need to have, you know, women that are exposed, exposing their breasts. It's just as beautiful covered as it is uncovered. Mm -hmm. But I mean, as I was doing it, was it cross? did it cross my mind? No. As I was performing, no. But I think Eileen says it best here. Was there any shame for you, like that you had to overcome, or like how, how did you was, tell your mom? By the time I got to Jubilee, I, I kind of was okay. But with the magic show, we had one cover show and one topless show. Oh, and 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 Lansford show. So, um, it was very hard to be topless. Like when she step on stage, you're like, okay, I'm seriously have no top on. Um, well, the grace for that is like everyone that I invited to the show, I made sure they came to the first show. <laughs> Cause gotcha. that was for kids, you know? So the second show was no kids allowed. It was <sighs> just the first show. Um, with that, I never understood why. I remember seeing my first, um, Top of the show was um, Showgirls on Ice. It was at the Latin, which they tore down for the um, the mall here. Uh-huh. Um, but, and I remember saying the same thing. Why are they topless? What is what is the point in them being topless? They ice skate, they dancing topless. Mm-hmm. So that was always my question is why, you know, um, is it necessary? I don't know what the answer is. Um, <laughs> but then I saw Jubilee, and after the first number, the women, to me, I didn't even see the topless. I saw the beauty and the grace yeah. and the costume and yep. and all that. Uh-huh. It's what is like, oh, this is just art. I mean, their body is just you know, one, you know, it wasn't like, oh, look at their breasts. It was like, look at their body, look at the, look at the costume, look at the, their, their performance, you know, became that. But yeah, it was very frightening. Now, did you find it very odd when you were topless and you forgot a bracelet or a necklace? Yeah. (laughs) That's when I felt nude. I'm like, I got nothing. I was like, your tits out and you complain about a bracelet on your arm yeah. but literally when you forget one bracelet or necklace that's when you realize you're topless that's when I realized it when I was in Jubilee but otherwise no it didn't even come to thought okay yeah just the the, yeah. the issue with your <laughs> uncle so your mom was okay after she saw it she was yes okay yeah she was like I thought you were on some little stage little desk table dancing da, da, da. she was like no this was beautiful it was oh, so beautiful I love you know so yeah one thing I'm aware of is um, the American sensitivities to nudity in general um, so I asked my friend Rachel what it's like in Europe regarding skin and bodies let's go back to the topless thing because it's viewed differently in America than it is in any other country. And because you're from England, um, mm-hmm. did you have a hard time with it? Did you have to overcome any shame? Are you still trying to overcome shame <laughs> about it? And how did you tell your parents? Was it a difficult conversation? Um, no, no. And I'm still trying to find opportunities in my current situation to be topless. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it, it's not. You, you're right. It's the, the European viewpoint is very, very different than it is over here. I think people um, are a little, 
bit more ashamed by yeah. uh, the body or anything. I remember being a kid and, you know, we would go out and there'd be a paddling pool or whatever and, and you just took your clothes off and you went in it. You might you might keep your underpants on or something like that, but uh, we would go on holidays to Spain and the vast majority of, pe- of women are topless because going back to tan lines, they're just icky um, and nobody wanted tan lines. You wore as little as possible um, to be you know, consistent, and so that was just an environment, no one sat the cast and went, oh my God, I see boobs. It was just kind of, oh, that person's someday then, and it was never really discussed or, or talked about. You know, it's really no wonder that our, uh, the sex crime rate is higher here in the U.S. than in other countries where the female form isn't so heavily objectified and sexualized. <sighs> it's frustrating. <laughs> My friend Sue Kim from episode 14 has seen her share of burlesque attending the Titans of Tea shows um, that the burlesque legends perform at every year uh, in the Burlesque Hall of Fame in Las Vegas. Um, She's been there a number of times. And um, so here's her take on new dancers. I would say I'm, you know, having read a lot of the um, historical article, I mean, historical like clippings and kind of interviews with Don Arden and, and Jerry Jackson and doing interviews about, you know, how, um, and, and some of the, the girls themselves, like how, you know, that it's not, you know, it's, it's viewed as it's, the costumes make it beautiful and artistic. And, and that was the thing about Don Arden is that, you know, yes, it was sort of an elegant, um, it wasn't a burlesque um, topless. It, there was nothing like raunchy about it. It was beautiful. It was, it was, you know, French. It had that air about it. Um, and so I would say people like, you know, when they hear you have a friend that's a showgirl of which I have many, they, they, you know, they're kind of maybe some, some people that don't know they're kind of, maybe drawn to like, oh, she was topless showgirl. And I'm like, it's not like that at all. I mean, I know many showgirls that are off stage. They are the most modest, reserved people. Um, I dress as a librarian flashier than they do. Um, so it's, it's a whole completely different thing. It's a, it's a role they're kind of playing on stage. So I, I don't know. Would you say that is true? I, I, I would just say that, yeah, I, you know, obviously, you know, being topless in France is, was a different thing. And, and they brought that sort of mystique and that sort of French mystique to Las Vegas. But it was also, you know, very elegant. It was not um, not that sort of burlesque um, yeah, um, a way of looking at it in the, the way that people looked at burlesque in the 1950s when the first, um, when Lido first came to Las Vegas in 1958. Um, it's, a, it's a totally different world. Well, I mean, there were shows on the strip that did not feature topless, uh, um, or I, I hate the word topless. It sounds so cheesy, but I would say the nude. But then I always have to explain to people the vernacular of nude does not mean completely nude. It just means topless. So that's another thing I usually explain in my um, panels. Um, and But there were the Copa Girls at the Sands Hotel and, and some of the other shows where um, they only used exclusively um, dressed dancers. Um, so, and, and they didn't have the same kind of dancing that they might have in a, in a Lido or, um, a a Foley Bouchere or something like that. I had a similar discussion along those lines with a friend of mine back when I was doing burlesque and, uh, he worked in the costume shop at Jubilee and he always said there's a fine line, um, and burlesque just pushes that line and it crosses it every time um because the intention is different so um whenever a new showgirl show comes out i think of a lot of the producers that have created those shows they're trying to emulate the true showgirl spectacle and they've completely lost the point of what that style show is about and that and i think it really comes down to the intention um so unfortunately American audiences are so used to being sold to with sex, uh, like uh, like Sherry, Sherry Lewis, my friend Sherry Lewis says in her episodes, um, you know, 
they they'll sell anywhere anything from cheeseburgers to um gosh i can't even remember <laughs> uh with sex and um so the mirror portrayal of the female form in its natural state isn't sexy enough for them so they get bored and i think that's one of the reasons the showgirl show had to go away is because um it's too <laughs> for lack of a better word um modest and it doesn't entice the way people want to be enticed these days they want um it seems the audiences more, want something more like burlesque where uh they get aroused and that that just didn't happen i mean maybe it did back in the day uh when showgirls first came to vegas but um you know the Don Arden shows were very classy. One of the things I've been learning since I've been doing my podcast, and uh, I'll still call it Showgirl's Life <laughs> because I still um, resonate with the title of being a showgirl. Uh, even though I was a dancer, I was a principal dancer, um, I had a conversation with Diane Palm a couple months ago, and she said, do you really consider yourself a showgirl, Athena? And I was like, yeah. Why wouldn't I? Um, and that's just because back in the day, showgirls were actually mannequins. They didn't dance. Um, a lot of them had the training and uh, were classically trained, but there was very little dancing. And um, that was because uh, the nudes or, you know, the topless girls, they didn't want the boobs to be uh, jiggling around, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so... I remember uh, one of the numbers, um, Disco in Jubilee, I remember getting notes about um, our boobs were moving too much. <laughs> so we had to figure out how to not make them move, even though we were dancing topless. Because um, the short nude line does, there's a, quite a few jumps in the opening of the disco scene. And, uh, you know, we had to figure out how to glide across the stage, but still make those. Um, level changes up and down and up and down without causing severe jiggle of the boob <laughs> so um I still will call myself a showgirl forever even though I was also a dancer um I think towards the end showgirls and dancers that they just started to become uh one and the same simply because there was no longer that separation of uh nudes versus dancers um and then again you have the the other difference between strippers and showgirls and just because you sh show your boobs doesn't make you a showgirl um there's a lot more involved <laughs> um so they really are worlds apart due to it and it's based on the intentions behind their presentations bottom line uh, so here is my friend Christopher Childers from episode 13 talking about his experience working with the showgirl icon. We feel like Americans, you know, it's such a shame thing, the nudity and, you know, the topless thing. And it just, you know, there's so many levels to it too, because I remember back in the day, there were many reasons for female dancers to go topless in these shows. I think one of them was more money. I think they made, you know, more money. I think, uh -huh. um, you know, there were, I also think though that it wasn't, you know, there wasn't, of course in Las Vegas, it was kind of, you know, the norm at the time and you would see the topless shows and stuff, but I don't think there was any shame associated with it like today. Um, and I do remember the girls, the minute they come off stage, like it was very modest, like the girls were, you know, on stage and they come off, it wasn't like everybody was hanging around topless the whole time. They'd cover up and go backstage. There were, you know, they put a towel in front of them or especially if they had to talk to you or something else or cover themselves. I always have that memory of that. And I thought, you know, that was another thing that I loved about the show girls was, you know, it, it, there was, they were very modest about it. I right. have to say it wasn't, you know. They were beautiful and classy on stage and off stage because it wasn't about that. It wasn't a cheap, dirty thing. It was this beautiful on stage moment of seeing the beautiful body of a female. And then when they were off stage, they covered up. And that's truly how it was backstage. 
we were all so modest. We did not run around naked. We did run around in our dressing rooms naked. We weren't running. We were just, you know, changing because that's what you do in the dressing room. But when we were backstage and going from upstairs uh, stage level down to the dressing room, we always, a majority of us had towels or we would cover with our hands. It was just how it was. It is definitely not how it's portrayed in the movie Showgirls or even the TV shows featuring showgirl dressing room scenes. It's just, it's not. I think that they're portrayed that way because, uh, well, it would be boring otherwise. <laughs> One thing I know for sure is that the showgirl has a natural beauty and mystique about her. Um, the costumes accentuate those facts. My friend Anna shares how she loves how they appreciated the natural form of the woman in Don Arden's shows. That was one of the things about Jubilee that I, I did enjoy. Yes, everyone was was tall and and dancers and, and gorgeous, but there were a lot of variations of beautiful bodies up there. You know, yeah. it was not row upon row of clones. Um, there were all different sizes and shapes of women, um, some curvy, some not as curvy, some very toned, some not as toned, some with large breasts, some with very small breasts, and it was all beautiful, you know, yeah. and it wasn't vulgarized, you know, it was all very stunning. And um, another thing that I liked was that um, the show maintains the look of natural women, um, yes. there, it was not a bunch of, uh, breast implants up on stage. So mm -hmm. I was very happy that the show celebrated, um, natural bodies and shapes and sizes, natural beauty of women. The bottom line is that we showgirls experienced a time when we could embody the goddess within and share that light on a stage with the most beautiful costumes and spectacles ever created for the stage. We cultivated confidence and empowerment on those stages and um, we carry that light within us every day going forward. I just always yeah. saw, um, you know, kind of bodies as just being beautiful. Yeah. It's um, in, in all their shapes and forms and everything and mm -hmm. And I think there was something very sensuous about that. And it was um, a way to kind of promote that. I mean, how, how much, whether it's faked at the beginning or whether it's legit from the get-go, um, confidence does it take to be able to expose yourself in a way mm -hmm. um, and, and have people, there's people in the audience there that are for different intentions. But you could always see the ones that really appreciated it. I mean, I, I work with people right now that can't read a sentence in front of a group of people because they just would die. Like, oh, my God, I have to speak in front of people. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I really don't give a shit. I used to get tits out twice nightly, I tell people. <laughs> it's, you know, it was, um, it was the ultimate confidence. I feel like there's nothing, nothing I can't really, I really shy away from now because it was, hey, here I am. And, you know... I'm not as uh, as in good shape as I once was from a long shot, and I should probably take a little um, spoonful of my own medicine right there, right now, and just be a little bit more, hey, it's all good. <laughs> There's just a lot more of me now. <laughs> exactly. More of you to love. That's all. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what a perfect way to end this episode. The Showgirl productions were truly a spectacle designed to honor and celebrate the natural female form and the grace with which it moves and inspires. I want to thank Anna Cook, Sherry Lewis, Eileen Ryans Scott, Pete Menifee, Rachel Zinn, Nikki Adamo, Sue Kim Chung, and Christopher Childers for their input on this subject. Show notes are available at showgirls.life slash podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. 
And um, please leave us a review so that this podcast can reach more people. Thank you. Views expressed in this recording are not necessarily shared by Showgirls Life Podcast or Gazellus Productions. Recorded, produced, and published in 2020, all rights to broadcast in whole or in part are the property of Gazellus Productions. Special thanks to Professor Felix of PHELYX.com. Also thanks to music makers BizBaz Studio and Silent Partner. More information about Showgirls Life can be found at showgirls.life, S-H-O-W-G-I-R-L-S dot We're so glad we had this time together.